Hello and welcome to Somatic. It's good to have everyone back. Um, what we've got going on for you this time is something a little different. Um, part of this project is for us to try out some different platforms, some different ways of using audio uh, to explore the body in motion and physical culture. Um, and we've done a few different uh, types of episodes. Um, we've done kind of uh, more newsy type things. Um, we've done interview styles, uh, but you know, part of what we want to do is 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 keep trying new things. And so, um, this episode that we have is something a little different. Um, something that we wanted to try out. Um, and the idea behind this one, to some extent, is uh, to kind of play with immersive audio design and storytelling. It's almost kind of poetry like in nature. Um, so that's. That's kind of what we're trying to do. And in fact, um, it, this one, you're not going to hear a ton from me. In fact, uh, you're going to hear from me at the very end. Uh, I'll come back and kind of shut things out. But in the meantime, uh, you're mostly going to be hearing from Sam, who's actually on the line, which we don't do this very often. But hey, Sam, what's up? <laughs> How you doing, Oliver? I'm doing good. Good I'm, to hear from you. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Um, can you just like give us a little bit of a rundown behind the idea with this, maybe some of the setting of this episode, um, and just kind of kind of give us a little context around what, what we got going on here? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so since about, I guess, 2008, when I graduated from college, my undergraduate, um, from 2008 till now, I've, I've, I've taken a lot of train trips um, out west, various different places. Um, and uh, ever since I started my doctoral studies uh, at the University of Maryland, I started to think about like the way that th that experience um, is something that people experience through their bodies. Like it's like a somatic experience in itself. So when we started this uh, podcast project, you and I, um, I wanted to try and tell a story about that embodied experience that I've come to intimately know for these years. So in the episode, I'm, I'm basically trying to tell a story about train travel in the United States and how that train experience occurs and how it's related to um, people's bodies, the way that people experience them, embody them, all those different types of things. Um, in multiple male moments, um, you know, I kind of meander and start to discuss the overall experience or things that may seem unrelated to the body, but that's kind of all... I, I like that. It's kind of all intentional in, in a sense. Like it's not very con um, well constructed or organized. I'm, I'm trying to follow um, where the thoughts go and where the experience is going. You're going to hear the sounds of a train, which, which I was actually in the train making that recording at the time. You're going to hear people talking. You're going to you're going to you hear the sounds of people around me and what's going. You're going to hear the sounds of the train itself and the train whistle. And it's all about kind of. My, my my goal is, you know, the, the episode is an experience in itself. Like you're not just hearing a story, but the fact that you're listening to it is part of this whole experience. And that, that was what I was trying to do. Yeah, we're trying, trying to bring people into that moment with you, onto the train with you, as it were. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Through, through this listening experience. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to share this with everyone. Um, you know, I think uh, we put a lot of effort into thinking about how we purposely design the sound with this one. Um, not only the sounds you collected, Sam, but, but also how we've kind of edited it together and done the mix on the other end of things. Um, I, I, yeah, I'm really proud of what we put together. Um, 
and and like I said, just excited to share that with everyone. So, um, any last thoughts? Any last any last pieces here, Sam? Before we send everyone off on this one? No, I'm just excited to send it out for people to listen to. All right, awesome. All right, like I said, um, I will drop back in at the end of the episode just with some uh, some small things, um, just to see everyone out. And otherwise, um, uh, yeah, enjoy.
discussion, this episode, will seem incomplete, because it is. It's partial, it's biased, it's non-academic. In each sentence, I attempt to maintain some kind of critical lens, but I'm reflecting on my experiences and past thoughts. And for that reason, for the very nature of that kind of process, that process of reconciling or trying to represent something that is past, something that is not present, my goal with this episode is really to meander, to let the various observations arise and ebb and flow as they may in relation to the music, in relation to my own thoughts. I'm not trying to romanticize the experience. I'm not trying to privilege my own experience at the expense of others. It's really an attempt to understand how one's experience are themselves can be rethought as embodied experiences. The senses and the relations with uh, environments that are surrounding you as you're traveling somewhere. And it's also about how I may better convey those persistent moments of seeming rupture and liminality that's connected with the temporal, with time, but also with the somatic, with my body. How those kinds of moments are all simultaneously moments of realization and undoing. So my goal is to trace an experience that I've come to know intimately for the past eight years. Since I finished my undergraduate degree, I've traveled on innumerable Amtrak trains. Travels from Eastern and Midwest cities like Cleveland and Washington DC to various locations in the Mountain West, in Colorado, New Mexico, Montana. What you're hearing now in the background are the ambient sounds of an Amtrak passenger train. And we were traveling through a rural area of the American Midwest at night. It was around 10 o'clock. At the time I'm recording this, it's close to the time that most people in the coach car and in those coach cars, those passenger cars, everyone's trying to prepare themselves for sleeping through the night. And this, in itself, is a tricky embodied affective process. We're all trying to figure out how we're gonna spend the next eight hours or so before the sun rises. So I'm going to try to follow this process through my own reflections and see where it leads. The coach seats in the leg room on these Amtrak trains, it, it, you get on there and it's pretty spacious. I mean, especially compared to um, air travel. But the seats and the train cars, the minute you get on them, it's, they seem relatively aged. They've been around. Amtrak sleeper cars, those tickets are pretty expensive. So if you, want to, if you want to travel on a train and you can't afford a ticket for a sleeper car, then you're in a passenger car in a coach seat and you have to find a way to sleep through the night on your travels in a seat that can only recline so much and it only has so much leg room. And sometimes the leg rests don't work. Sometimes the leg rests don't stay in place. Sometimes your seat won't recline all the way depending upon the people around you, or maybe the condition of the seat. 
So in other words, your experience of the night as you travel on that train is just like this episode, one of palpable incompleteness. Because for the next eight hours, you're only going to be able to fall asleep so much and for certain amounts of time. As your head is resting on a cold window, the only window that separates you from a dark American landscape. The darkness of an American countryside at 2 a.m. in the morning. So when I think about like that experience of trying to sleep, when you're a passenger, you have to spend time figuring out where to put your feet, where you're going to rest your head, if you're going to stay in the passenger car, if you're going to try to sleep in maybe the sights of your car. Did you bring a blanket to cover yourself? Did you bring a small pillow so you can rest your head on the window, but it's a little bit more comfortable? If you forgot any, either of those things, what are the alternative arrangements you can make? Maybe you can use your coat as a makeshift pillow or blanket. And suddenly you're thinking to yourself as almost like a cowboy in the 1800s in the American frontier. And then the Amtrak personnel say over the loudspeaker that you need to keep your shoes on at all times. So now you have to fight the urge to take those shoes off and fight the urge to get as comfortable as possible to sleep through the night. So it's in a way, it's almost like you're trying to sleep in a condition in which your body and your senses know you're not quite in the most complete scenario for sleeping. You're in kind of a moment of sleeping liminality, but yet you still have to find a way to get a little bit of sleep so that you can stay awake for the next day. On most of my Amtrak journeys, I tried to pack as minimal necessities as possible so I wouldn't have to lug around some sort of large suitcase when I get off at my destination. So I, I never would have a pillow, never have a blanket. I mean, the, the passenger cars, they're never freezing, right? But they're not exactly cozy and warm either. It's that middle ground of temperature where you can get by without the blanket, but you know you'd be a lot more comfortable if you had one. Most of my trips, I tried to sleep with my head resting on the window if I was lucky enough to have a window seat. And that's not the most comfortable way. You get spurts of sleep, you get 15 minutes here, 45 minutes there, but you wake up every time the train car shifts, every time it hits a bump, every time there's a loud noise or a sound in the passenger car or the door opens to the next car. Or when you get a cramp in your neck or your legs and you have to move around and figure out a new position to try to fall asleep. So it's funny, by like 10 or 11 o'clock, it's this kind of collective experience in which everyone in that car is making decisions of how they're going to spend the next eight or nine hours on this steel vehicle traveling through a dark American landscape. Some people make the choice, and I've ha I have as well, they make the choice to try their luck in the sightseer car, sleep there. The sightseer car stays open all night. The lights stay on all night. In the sightseer car, there are longer seats where two to three people can sit and look outside. So you can, if you get one of those, 
you can try and lay down and stretch out. But they're not that long. They're not that spacious. And there's only so many of those seats in the sightseer car available. Sometimes the floor is the best option, and I've made that choice before. I mean, at least on the floor, you feel like you can completely stretch out. By around midnight, people have laid claim to those seats. Usually, one of the conductors is sitting in a nearby booth in the sightseer car doing paperwork, listening to the train radio. But unlike the darkened passenger cars, if you try to sleep in the sightseer car, you're sleeping with a bright incandescent or maybe it's a compact fluorescent light shining right on your face. The light makes it hard to see anything outside the window at the dark landscape. You just kind of see darkness. Sometimes you see the movements of the train, the passing of the tracks below, but you can't see what's really what's going on. You're only sort of sensing and feeling the artificial light shining throughout the air that's being transported into the sightseer car for the temperature. So you're trying to sleep even though all the other artificial elements are making you think that it's still the daytime. People throughout the night are still moving in and out of the sightseer car. It's where people go to talk on their phones, where they go to work on their laptops if they can't sleep. It's where they go to talk with each other if they want to keep talking through the night. So if you try to sleep there, then you also have that set of factors and sounds and circumstances that's shaping your experience. And perhaps the strangest experience is when the train attendant comes on the loudspeaker and informs everyone that the dining car cafe lounge is about to close. Especially with the cafe lounge. Suddenly there's a time now, right before everyone's gonna fall asleep, where there's almost this deadline where you have to make the decision of whether or not you want more food or some sort of snack or some sort of drink, a beer or a glass of wine before you fall asleep. And then once that deadline passes, temporally, and I mean really, you're on your own until the morning when the sun rises and the train races a destination like Chicago or Denver or Minneapolis. feel like some kind of liminal experience? How could it not make someone think about their relation to everything that surrounds them, but more than that, everything that is passing by as they realize they're following this human-made path of steel and wood? It's not efficient travel. It's not like airplanes and airports. A trip that may take three hours on a plane, it takes 
many, many more hours to get there on a train, at least in the United States. But you also get a chance to really see places and spaces that you're traveling through on your way. You're not above the clouds. You're on the ground. When you travel on the train, you know you have hours to think, to talk, to sit and look out your window, to eat in communal tables in the dining car, to meet and greet and chat with strangers who become acquaintances in the passenger inside your cars. And when you finally get to your destination, you realize that you've thought about all these various different things, some that you now can't remember, but you know that you thought about them. Maybe you felt a connection, maybe you felt lack thereof with all the places and the spaces you only saw outside for the briefest of moments. You observe so many people that you've never met before. Maybe you've even talked to them for a spell. You've seen parts of the United States that you'll never visit. If you're lucky, the train stops at a station to let off and take on passengers, giving you minutes to walk outside, stretch your legs on the sidewalks or the concrete, maybe have a cigarette to look at the city around. In those cases, you get a glimpse at the Elkhart, Indianas, the Otumwa, Iowas, the Minot, North Dakotas. You catch a glimpse of other people's homes, the restaurants and bars that people frequent, the downtowns and local businesses that have been hit hard by the arrival of Walmart supercenters right outside of town. When the night arrives and everyone around you is beginning to sleep and the lights are dimmed, it's almost like your senses sharpen. You start to grasp every sound, every bump, every cough, every sudden shining light of a phone screen. And suddenly you realizing that you are sitting there thinking about things, yourself, your life, things you need to do, things you'd like to do, places you'd like to see, tasks you'll need to do once you get to your destination, dreams, aspirations, failures, Much of it is probably reflection. And it's like the forward motion, the locomotion is causing you to sort of jar memories and things that you don't normally think about most other days of your life when you're going on your everyday routines. Maybe you remember friends that you haven't seen or spoken with in a long time. You start wondering what they're doing. You start thinking about memories that you haven't considered for a long time. You remember something you wish you'd, you, you, you wish you weren't remembering, like some embarrassing, regretful moment, shameful moment that you were involved in. And it's like those memories, all these reflections are being shaped and sort of conjured by the environments in which you're immersed, the landscapes in which you see outside. They're simultaneously present. There's a presentness about it that's linked to feeling of space but the landscape also gives you connection to the past 
It can't be a coincidence that this reflection, this almost nostalgia for past, past experience that's coming from the conjuring of memory and reflection, arises as someone is traveling on a mode like a train. You're sitting on what people will tell you is a, some kind of modern industrial capsule. It's transporting you through the human and the non-human, the built and the natural environments. But you're sitting in a chair. You're witnessing all of this happen around you. You're not the one, you're not the conductor making the train go, but you're feeling it, you're a part of it. And yet you're stationary right there, witnessing all of it around you. And things are becoming intimately purpose, personal and influential. When you're witnessing all this inside the train, sitting in your seat, it does seem like space is predominating over time. You're speeding, or sometimes you're just slowly moving through landscape that makes the difference between the destination and the countryside. What you think is natural and man-made, it's like it's being blotted out. Blotted out through this steel vessel. And yet, and yet, with the reflection and the nostalgia, the blurred passing visuals of these quote-unquote countryside natural spaces, in between these towns, they feel more intimate and palpable as you, as you witness them, as you see them. And you're thinking, perhaps they're causing you to think, to rethink deeply about your life, about the things you hope to do. But in relation to what you're feeling within that traveling moment and the feelings that you're wrestling with as you're looking outside. Me in those moments, I, I take out a pen and paper, I make lists, I jot down ideas, thoughts. I probably tried to write some sort of crappy poem within a notebook to capture the particular moment at hand. It's like the landscape outside is simultaneously personal even though it's transitory. It's momentous even though it feels intimate. It feels full and yet it's fleeting. <laughs> I suddenly feel like I understand the spaces outside the window, and yet I know that I don't know anything about them. I know that I know that I don't know anything about them. Everywhere, they're not just these spaces of nature, but places where people live, work, rest, travel, frequent, also nostalgically think, reflect. I feel like as I'm traveling, I'm becoming some kind of somatic nexus where my thoughts, my body, my emotions, and the surrounding sort of environments, man-made, non-man-made, they're all continuously being shaped and reshaped. They're all meeting and intersecting. My ideas and thoughts are being shaped by what is going on all around me and whether or not I'm fully aware of it. And I turn my head to the passenger car, to the inside, and I'm observing everyone else around me and wondering if they're having a similar experience or 
perhaps they're just trying to sleep. should not romanticize this kind of experience. You're surrounded by the realities and materialities of inequality, and you know this when you travel on a train in the United States. It's almost like it's an integral part of your travels. They say train traveling is much more efficient and better funded in European and other countries places like Japan with the high-speed trains. And it sure seems like in the United States, train travel seems really underfunded, underappreciated, maybe even misunderstood. This is all sometimes a topic that you talk about with your fellow train travelers. They too understand it's not an efficient way of traveling in the U.S. This is all weird, though, because in high school history classes, students are told of the significance and transformative impact of transportation technologies like the Transcontinental Railroad. When you're traveling, inevitably, your passenger train is going to have to stop at some point and wait for a freight train to pass. Maybe there'll be a long delay because the freight train is taking a while or it's stuck behind multiple freight trains or one of the cars is broken down as a need of repair. In the past few months, there's been derailments, accidents, terrible tragedies with train travel. Yet in the 19th century, the train was a signifier of American industrial might and progress. It was an industry that generated massive wealth for precious few, whose names now adorn universities and charities and grand institutions. The railroad industry pillaged resources, resources and environments, accumulated wealth for robber barons, horribly treated workers, brutally responded to labor strikes. But now, ironically, in the 21st century, it's like the passenger train is passe, a signifier of a mode of motion that people just consider to be inefficient. Or something they don't even think about. 
You look out the window as the train passes larger cities, smaller towns, crosses plains and farms, rivers, and you realize how we are all in some way products of the time, of the surrounding circumstances. And this can be really complicated, problematic, distressing to realize. Because maybe you're sitting in the sightseer car and as you look up from your phone, you see how other people are treating each other. And you can feel in the air the alienation. You can witness, get angry and upset with the effects and the operations of the male gaze. You see grown men trying to chat up women on the train. You hear stories of why some people are traveling to certain places and the struggles they've had to endure on their journey. You hear myriad of opinions, opinions that we all have. Some of them you, you don't mind hearing, but some of them are pretty hard to hear. Some of them where you wonder why the person is telling you this. Suddenly, you're melancholic because now you know there's one more person that has that opinion out in the country. You see the stark contrast of wealth, of livelihood, because it sure seems like most train travelers, like yourself, they've decided to ride the train for reasons other than how long it's going to take to get to their destination. You think about the difference between those who choose to take the train, some kind of tourist experience, it's part of their vacation, and then those who choose to take the train because they can't afford an airplane ticket, or because they're heading to somewhere, a community, a town, or traveling via an airplane, isn't really a choice. You see towns that you can tell are clearly struggling, that too many people in the country are forgetting. You see state highways that are far from the major interstates. You see unpaved roads that lead to rural towns where it's like the nicest restaurant is probably a Taco John's. But also, right in the same journey, when you arrive at the major destinations at those larger cities, you see those enormous urban conurbations, the massive sports stadiums, the surrounding industrial and suburban landscape, the sheer space that cities like Chicago and, and New York encompass, and you can see firsthand how they're growing, like they're some kind of organism. You see those new housing developments, the little boxes, as Pete Seeger would say. The commercial centers with the same storefronts and franchises and that band-aid natural landscape. You know, the placing of small individual trees lining beside those expansive asphalt roads and huge parking lots. And you're sitting there in the train. And there's this floating, overwhelming feeling of alienation. Like it's a cloud following the journey. Then at night there is this particular experience. Where it's like... Objects out in the passing dark landscape get magnified and seem pregnant with meaning. The red blinking light of those tall radio and cellular telephone towers. You're sitting there looking out your window. You're traveling through a place like the western Nebraska Plains. 
In your head, you're thinking, I'm not seeing much except darkness, a dark landscape. The population I know is sparse. The towns are far, far apart. There's occasional lights of a solitary car driving down a rural road and then cutting through the darkness. Every now and then is that blinking red light tower. <laughs> and you stare at it for longer than you probably should. And if you have your headphones on and music's playing, the music guides your thoughts as you think and look at that blinking red light. What the hell does it signify? It kind of scares me. Does it scare other people when they see it the way it's scaring me now? But you think about what does it mean? It feels like a reminder of who's in charge, of who's in power in society. It's as if it's the blinking red light of the watchful eye of the technological modernizing panopticon. It's here you think that someone like Frederick Jameson was correct. Yeah, space has enveloped time. There's no the difference between the natural and the modern and the built environmental has all collapsed on itself. Even when you're hours away from a major city and you know you're in the midst, in the middle of the great American desert, no matter where you are or somewhere, there's that blinking red light tower reminding you of the forces of power, technology, and wealth. Maybe I'm thinking too far into it. But that's the point of the train experience as you're staring out the window at night. Everything feels important magnified, intimate, anxious. And then there comes a point when you realize your journey's almost done. And you remember that in the beginning, at the start of the journey, you felt like it would take forever. But then you get there and you wonder where the time went. Time collapsed. All your memories are based on space. Once you get to where you're going, you grab your bags, you walk down the stairs to exit the train car, and it's as if you're a different person from the one that started the journey. But then you're also back amongst those digital voices that are announcing the location of your chosen track. And you think about how everyone, including yourself, is trying to make do and struggle and navigate as they travel on these tracks of everyday existence.
All right. Uh, well, I hope you all enjoyed that journey. Um, as I said, it's something different for us. Um, we're not sure how many of our shows will end up sounding like this. Um, we want to continue to mix things up. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. If you've got any thoughts on the direction with this, we would love to hear it. Um, you can send us an email at somaticpodcast.gmail.com um, or you can go onto our website at somatic podcast.com and there's a contact form you can actually fill out there and get back to us um you can also tweet at us we're at somatic podcast on twitter um any of those spaces you can send us any feedback you you have um we're continuing to grow and trying to develop our skills um and uh all the feedback constructive feedback we can get helps with that process also um i think we ask every time when we make a show uh, but we would continue on to reach out um this show is not just about me and sam putting our thoughts out there we really want to be able to be a platform um we've variously been able to do that and work with different people we are continuing to look for people that we could work with um so if you are interested in making a story with us please 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 reach out to us um we are happy to shoulder the work on these on these projects um that's kind of our end of things we've been able to build up some capacity and skills with this and um we want to be able to offer those to people that want to tell these types of stories as well so um if you've been working on a project or you've got an idea for a project uh, maybe you want to think about how you could take something that you've written and put it into an audio format and what you can explore with that anything like that just give us a give us a shout reach out to us on on one of those uh one of those uh, communication channels um, and we'll get back to you and we'll come up with a plan and, and, and see what we can put together um, really for us the, the most enjoyable experience is when we can collaborate and I think that's again really what this project is about um, exploring um, sound design how digital audio can play a role here um, thinking through the body in motion uh, and providing a platform for collaboration with a range of different people that want to tell these types of stories um, so if you're interested in that give us a shout uh, otherwise, uh, we should be back relatively shortly, hopefully, uh, with the next episode. Um, so with that, this has been Somatic. Somatic.